for the last couple of weeks, we've been, we started a series a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, entitled, If God, Then Why? And so it's a question that we ask and we fill in, we fill in that phrase with, with questions that we want to know about God. I think that God is in a lot of times, he's misunderstood. Uh, and, and, and I don't think we have a full understanding of who he is and why he does what he does. I, I think we have a lot of questions about God. Uh, I, I know that he usually doesn't do things the way that we think that he should, right? <laughs> does he? No. He typically doesn't answer the prayers the way that we pray them, does he? And sometimes I think we really struggle at times to understand. We've been asking some questions about him in the last couple of weeks, and then we've been digging into God's word uh, to get some answers and some clarity on who God is and why he does or doesn't do the things that we pray about. We started a couple of weeks ago by asking if God is all-powerful and in control of everything, which we, I think, would believe and we've heard all of our lives, if he's in control of everything in the universe, then why does it seem like that he's weak and being overtaken by evil and out of control of the events of our world today? That's a really great question. And I want you to go back and listen to it for the answer, but here's a spoiler alert for this. God is still all-powerful and he's completely in control. Last week we asked if God heals and provides and protects, then why are we sick and needy and always being attacked? Again, another really great question. But we found the answer in the Bible. Last week we began to understand that many of us have built our theology, which is a theology is simply a belief in God, a belief in who he is, what he does, and his interaction with us here on the earth. So we built this theology on some narrow slivers of doctrinal foundation. It's not complete. We have this incomplete theology because we haven't embraced the full counsel of the Bible. Uh, as we heard last week in Acts 20, uh, verse 27, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders before he was to lead them to go to Jerusalem uh, some things, and he started by saying this, listen, in essence, he's saying, I'm washing my hands of the responsibility here because I've not held back anything. What he said is this, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, I've told you the good stuff and the hard stuff. I've told you the fun stuff and the difficult stuff. I've not held back anything about who God is. I've given you a fully fleshed out theology, is what he's saying. And I think oftentimes we have this, and especially I think in this generation, we live in a generation where we really don't want to hear the, the full counsel of God. There's a lot of churches that are preaching the name and claimant or the feel-good sort of gospel or the things that we just want to have our ears tickled and walk away saying, well, I'm encouraged today and I think I can go another week. But then when things hit us, and things kind of hit us hard sometimes, don't they? These kind of narrow slivers of theology don't quite hold the weight of the things that we're going through. In fact, Paul warned a young Timothy of this very thing that would take place. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul is telling Timothy, preach the word and be prepared in season 
and out of season. Correct and rebuke and encourage. Think about those three things. Correct and rebuke and encourage. With great patience and careful instruction. This is, a, this is a message to all of us who are teachers and preachers of the gospel. Whether we're behind a pulpit or in a classroom or even in our homes with our family and people at, in our workplaces and at school. We all have that responsibility to, to be patient and to be careful in our instruction. To correct and rebuke and encourage. And then he pivots but, and he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I believe we're in that time. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from truth, from the whole counsel of God's word, if I can add that. And they'll turn aside to myths, to things that are incomplete, to things that will steer them away from those difficult passages and difficult teachings in God's word. Again, I, I believe that we're in, in this time that Paul was referring to. And, and I want you to look at this again because when Paul was telling Timothy these things, he said, I want you to preach the word, Timothy. And he said, I want you to correct. We don't like correction. I want you to rebuke. We don't like rebuke. And I want you to encourage. We like the encouraging part. See, flesh doesn't want to be corrected or rebuked. We want the encouraging stuff, though. Encourage me all day long. And I appreciate being encouraged. And I, I appreciate the blessings. I'm going to take the happy stuff. I, I love that. We need it. But, 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 but then the flesh also says, don't call me out on the things that are causing me to sin. Don't you do it. Just, just tickle my ears with the blessings. With the good stuff. But if you look at Paul's list, two out of the three things that Paul told Timothy to do were tough things. Correct and rebuke. I don't know about you, but I need all of the correcting and rebuking that I can get. Am I the only one? I enjoy the blessings. I enjoy the encouragement. Absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is my steady diet, and there's no challenging, there's no, there's no growing. If that's all that I get, I will not mature in Jesus. I will not die to my flesh. I will not be feeding my spirit. And I will not be standing firm in my faith when the trials come. If all I get is one steady diet of happy, happy, happy stuff. Tickling my ears. The same Bible that says that we can have a life and have it to the full in Jesus also says that we need to die daily to our flesh and take up our cross and follow him. And that's the daily battle that we face, isn't it? So today, and over the next several weeks as we continue, I want to encourage you to embrace the full counsel of the Bible and be ever so careful that you don't build your theology on a narrow, on a shallow, and an incomplete understanding of who God is. Because if we don't embrace the full counsel, Listen to me this morning. When the sickness, when the need, when the attacks come, and things don't turn out the way that we have an understanding that they should, then we have a crisis of faith on our hands. I've known people who've turned away from God when the going gets tough. They say stuff like, if God really was who he says that he was, then my loved one wouldn't have died, or my need would have been met, or... I, would have been, I wouldn't have been attacked so severely. So we ask questions, you know, does God care? Is he really there? 
And when the storms come, the shallow roots cause even the mightiest of trees to topple. You can look and play the part of a giant oak of a saint of God. But if you have shallow roots, when the storms come, you will topple over. You got to get those roots down deep. You got to get those roots down wide. They got to be strong. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the fact of it. The storms of life are inevitable. And when the storms come, I would like to, as your pastor, see you stand firm in your faith. I know that that's what you would like as well. As the Apostle Paul encouraged the church in, first, in, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. In other words, let your roots grow down deep. Come on, let, let's get locked in to the things of Christ. Let, let's have a full counsel. Let's have a, a complete understanding. Let's embrace the full counsel of God's Word. I, I, I want you to stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why would he say stand firm if there wasn't going to be attacks, if there wasn't going to be challenges, if there wasn't going to be issues that would, that would challenge their faith and their stand for Christ? So with all this said, let's look at, at the full counsel of God's Word today. And let's answer this question today. And it'll be up on the screen if you'll write it down. If God is our joy and our peace and our strength, then why are we unhappy, troubled, and weak? If God is our joy, peace, and strength, then why are we unhappy and troubled? And weak. I thought, I thought serving Jesus meant that I was always going to be bounced around in joy. That I was always going to be in, in this place of his peace. And that I was always going to be strong. But see, when we have an incomplete understanding of the full counsel of God's word. And when we establish our lives on that sliver that says that it's going to be just wonderful, 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 wonderful all the time. When these storms come, these crises, these crises of faith take place. So let's break this apart a little bit and take it piece by piece. It's really in three different sections here. If God is our joy, why are we so unhappy? That's the first question we'll answer this morning. If God is our joy, why are we unhappy? Sometimes circumstances in our life challenge our joy, don't they? Am I the only one here this morning that is facing this? If, if, if you want to say amen, you can, let's practice it. Say amen, everybody. Now, you can do that anytime you want to the service, okay? You're perfectly fine with it, okay? That helps me to know that, it's, that, you're, that you're listening and, and that, it, that it's registering with you. So, the, the circumstances in our life will oftentimes challenge our joy. So, so, what do we do with this challenge that comes into our lives? Well, first off, let's just do some definitions here. We need to define happiness as compared with joy. Did you know that happiness and joy are two different things completely? They are. They're not interact, they're not interchangeable, they're not the same thing at all. Happiness, write this down, happiness comes and goes based on circumstances. For example, very rarely do you see a smiling face on a mugshot. <laughs> that was a bad day for that. That was a bad day for that person, wasn't it? Yeah. 
But if you've ever seen someone waving a winning lottery ticket, or maybe they're holding their newborn baby or grandbaby, or, or, or maybe they're standing in front of a brand new car with this you know, shiny car with a set of keys, they're always smiling, aren't they? I won a lottery. Yeah. Man, they are, that was a great day for that person. That lottery, that car, that baby, great day. You see, here's the thing. Situations and events produce laughter or tears, smiles or frowns, elation or depression. That's happiness versus unhappiness. That's the definition of that. Happiness versus unhappiness is always circumstantial and it's always situational, always. But happiness has nothing to do with joy. Joy is different because joy isn't based on what, the external, but joy is based on whom, the internal. You see, joy is not based on circumstances around us, but joy is based on the relationship of Christ within us. It could be a tough day. It could be a challenging week. It could be a season of struggle and uncertainty. And we still can have joy in the midst of it. Happiness is shallow roots. And joy is deep roots. Happiness is based on what's happening around us, while joy is based on what's happening inside of us. Happiness is smiling when the sun is out, but joy is dancing in the downpour. There's a, a prophet in the Old Testament named Habakkuk. Some people pronounce him Habakkuk. Either way, it's a funny name. But there he was in the Old Testament, and he lived in a pretty dark time in Israel's history. Really short book. The Babylonians were ruthlessly attacking and overtaking the people of God with no end in sight. Habakkuk complained to God about all of this. And God gave him assurances that he was still, God was still in control. And God was still working out his plan. Habakkuk concluded his writings by pivoting away from his circumstances and what he saw that was going on in his nation and in his life. And he instead put his eyes back on God. And then he penned these words that I would like for you to rehearse and memorize. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. The first part of it identifies the situation externally. And he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, can you say that word with me, yet, yet, say it again, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Rejoice is a form of the word joy. So it's kind of the same thing. I will take joy in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's what he's saying. And so we can fast forward into 2023 and we can make it whatever we want to, but let's just kind of, I'll give you an example. Though the economy is struggling mightily and the nation's leadership is divisive and weak, though the morality of this generation is worse than it's ever been and evil seems to be rampant, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You can 
you can say, even though my family situation is not like I need it to be, and my health is not where it needs to be, and my financial situation is not where it needs to be, and, and even though things are not going on, you can just do whatever you want to do. You can say whatever you want to say in that first part, even though we need to pivot and say, yet, yet, I will rejoice. We will not always be happy. We can, we can always be joyful. He says, yet I will rejoice. There's that word again, because we talked about that word last week, yet. It, it, it's, it, it's a tiny word, just three letters, but it has huge implications, doesn't it? It's a, it's a pivot word. Even though, yet will I. Even though, yet will I. If we can grab hold of this this morning, it will flesh out so much in our lives, uh, it'll make our roots go down deep. It, it, it'll, it'll change our perspective as, as to why aren't things working out? I can still be joyful though. Why aren't things working out the way I want? Why is it so difficult right now? Why am I struggling so? Why are, why are things happening in my life the way that they are? Yet, I will rejoice. In God my Savior, there will be a joy in me that's not based on my circumstances, but based on who is in me. You know, there's a, um, a document in the, in the United States, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the Declaration of Independence, anybody? Yeah. It's a founding document and it has in, its, it, has in it as part of its writing, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's kind of the thing where we're going to be pursuing life and, and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's, that's who we are all about, the, the pursuit of happiness. Now, since this is enshrined in our founding documents, shouldn't this be, as, our, as, an, America, as an American, shouldn't this be our goal? <laughs> well, uh, let me just say something. The, the, the Declaration of Independence isn't God's word, okay? So we need to be careful to, to not say, well, I, I should be pursuing happiness. No, you should be pursuing joy. See, there's nothing wrong with pursuing happiness. It's all right to be happy. But, but wouldn't it be wiser to put our primary efforts into pursuing joy? Wouldn't it be better to use our energies to develop our inward joy based on whose we are rather than an outward happiness based on events and circumstances? Happiness is great, folks. I'm all for happiness. I mean, I love to laugh, you know. We, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a joker. I mean, I, I cut up a lot. I know you probably don't know that. For, for, mo for, for most of you, you don't see that. I know, right? No. Listen, I love to laugh. You know, I just thank, thank God for humor. But, but happiness is not dependable. Happiness is fleeting. And it certainly isn't a solid foundation for us to build our lives upon. If you're building your life upon happiness, you are a fool, really. You're wasting your time. Redirect your energies to building your foundation on the joy of the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Job in the Old Testament chose joy over happiness. He lost everything, if you know the story of Job. But he still says in the midst of all this suffering, in Job chapter 13, verse 15, while he's still right in the middle of it, he's still wrestling through it, he, he says this really cool phrase. He says, though God slay me, yet, yet I will trust him. 
Yet is a pivot word again. Here's Job making the decision, the determination to say, even though I've lost everything, my family, my possessions, my health, my wealth, everything about me is gone. And I'm sitting here in the midst of all of this, scraping the sores off of me. And it's just awful situation. He had nothing left, nothing. He had everything. It was all taken from him. He had nothing left. Yet he had the one thing that he needed. He had Jesus. He had the Lord. He had God. Even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. There's that word again, yet. In our struggles, we pivot to joy, amen? In our struggles, we pivot to trusting God, amen? In our struggles, we say yet. And the joy of the Lord is my portion. It's my strength. It's my solid foundation, amen? King David described his struggles throughout Psalms. If you read Psalms, it's, it's, this, it's this kind of this up and down sort of thing that's going on. Most of the psalms that he wrote starts off pretty intense, like, this is an awful time that I'm in right now. And here's one example of it. As he, was, as he was on the run by constant death threats by King Saul, he cried out to God. He was on the run. He lived in caves. Think about this for a second. He wasn't sitting in some Taj Mahal place writing these things down, okay? He was on the run, riding his camels, running around, living in caves, living by his wits, constantly looking over his shoulder trying to stay one step ahead of his pursuer. And he wrote these words starting in Psalm 13 verses. In fact, the whole chapter, 1 through 6. He says, how long, O Lord? How many has ever prayed that prayer? How long? How long, O Lord? Oh, how long is this going to go on? How much longer do I need to endure this? Will you forget me forever? By the way, God never forgets you. But sometimes it seems like he does, doesn't he? Do you even know that I exist? That I'm here? Do you care? How long will you, forever, will, you for, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How many has ever felt that way? God is as far away from me as he's ever been. But yet he'll never leave me or forsake me. But sometimes we feel like he's not anywhere near, doesn't it? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? In other words, how much longer will this, this attack keep happening in my life? I mean, I know that... We're going through some stuff in our life with our, with our children right now. And it feels like there's an attack that's going on. And we keep thinking, how much longer will this go on? He cries out and he says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Here's the pivot, but, which is the same as yet, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice. There's that word rejoice. It's a form of joy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Praise is a weapon, isn't it? Worship is a weapon. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wait a minute. Bountifully. In David's dark circumstances, he says, but, it's the same as yet. He says, I have trusted you. I've made a choice to trust you, in other words. Do you realize that trusting God is a choice? Yes. I will trust the Lord. I have chosen to trust the Lord. Do you trust the Lord this morning? Yes. If you trust the Lord this morning, it's a choice you're making, and it's not based on your circumstances. Because your circumstances will surely deceive you. In fact, the enemy will tell you, based on your circumstances, why would you trust someone who's causing you to go through this? Because we don't understand the full counsel of God's word, and we don't understand who God is and what he's trying to do in it. 
I have trusted you. In other words, I've made a choice to trust in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice. In other words, my heart shall take joy in your salvation. So I'm going to sing to you. David said, I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to, I, I praise is a weapon, and I know that. And it's going to change my heart. It's going to make me not be so sorrowful, but, but it's going to bring me joy. Because I'm going to sing to you. And those songs are going to be songs that are going to remind me of your goodness. Remind me of your greatness. Remind me of your love. Remind me of your power. Remind me of your guidance. Remind me of who you are. Because even in the middle of all of this that I'm going through right now, I'm reminded of how good you are to me. How many knows that God has been good to you? Amen? Amen. Has God been good to you? Amen? Amen? Your mercies are new every morning. As we learned last week, as we, as we read about, great is your faithfulness to me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to me, O God. You are bountiful. I love that word bountiful. Bountiful is not just enough. It's abundant to overflowing. You are bountiful to me in every way. David, in the midst of his struggle, said all these things. He chose to pivot his heart back to the joy of the Lord. Not based on my circumstances. I am not happy right now in this cave. I'm not happy right now in this struggle. I'm not happy right now with this attack. But I will be joyful. I will be joyful. In David's dark circumstances, he made a pivot. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane struggled mightily in prayer the night before he was crucified. And I want you to look at something. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, as he was praying to God the Father, he said, Father, if you're willing, many of us know the scripture, take this cup from me. Difficult time. Jesus knew exactly what was getting ready to happen. I'm getting ready to be betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, senselessly beyond recognition tried and found guilty for something that I didn't do and crucified on a cross with spikes and nails and everything all over his body and so certainly his flesh was saying his humanity was saying father if you're willing take this cup from me in other words there's another way please but then he pivoted because he said this one word, yet. There's that word again, yet. Even Jesus had to pivot, didn't he? Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And we think, oh, that's easy for Jesus, but that's not so easy for me. It was not easy for Jesus. Because we see that the angels came and ministered to him afterwards. And he was, he was, he was, he was sweating great, great drops of blood. I mean, you know what happens when uh, the doctors say when... When you start sweating blood, that means the capillaries in your head are starting to break because of the stress and the pressure. How many has ever felt your blood pressure go up in certain situations? That's what was going on with him. And it was so intense that the capillaries were breaking in his head and his sweat was like blood. He was so intensely stressed at that time. And that's why he was praying to his father. And Emmy's ever prayed that prayer, Jesus, would you just take this cup from me? Would you just lighten up a little bit? Would you just kind of cause things to be a little easier for me? But Jesus, being our example, said, yet, 
not my will, but yours be done. How many knows that God wants to work out the greater good in our lives through the, tr through the struggles and the difficulties that we go through, right? He's, he's working out the greater good for us and the greater glory for his name. So Jesus pivoted in the middle of his struggle and was strengthened by God to finish the work of salvation for us. And thank God. Thank God, amen. We're here today in, as a testimony to him pivoting to doing the, the Father's will. And we see in Hebrews 12, 2, more fully what was going on in his heart at that moment because it says here that looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, you hear me? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So there he was struggling mightily in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And, and, and he says, yet not my will but yours be done. And then we see in Hebrews 12, 2, that what brought him over the, the hump was the joy that was set before him. The joy that moved him beyond his difficulties to endure the cross, to despise the shame of the cross, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for you and me. It's joy that brought him through. The foundation of joy moved him from his momentary feelings of unhappiness to finish what he was called to accomplish. And joy doesn't deny the circumstances that we're in. It never does. But it doesn't allow the circumstances to rule over us. And joy gets our eyes off of the circumstances and helps us to focus on Jesus. You see, Job endured his unhappiness and eventually experienced restoration and abundant blessing. Read the whole book of Job and you see God restored. David endured unhappiness and eventually became the king of all Israel. Not a bad ending. Jesus endured unhappiness and won salvation for all of mankind. The ultimate wonderful ending. Jesus said in John 16, 21 and 22, A woman when she's in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But, it's the pivot, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take away from you. Here's the thing. The Lord's trying to birth something in you and through you. And so, yeah, you got to go through the sorrow of the child pains and the childbirth and the whole process. Ladies, I know you know what I'm talking about. Guys, we have no idea. But spiritually speaking, the Lord wants us to give birth to something. And there's going to be some contractions. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some struggle. There's going to be some sorrow. But the Lord brings forth what he wants to birth out of us. And all of a sudden, we don't remember that stuff that took place. All we see is the beautiful baby that he's given us. And there's joy in that. He's trying to birth something in us. These momentary labor pains of unhappiness are birthing in us a joy that the world cannot take away. Amen? So when we face times of unhappiness, let's not let it give us a crisis of our faith in Jesus. Amen? The full counsel of the Bible reminds us in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So, Here's the next question. If God is our peace, then why are we so troubled? If God is our peace, then why are we so troubled? Jesus was telling his disciples he was getting ready to go back to his heavenly father, but he, he would see them again. 
Jesus' words were comfort not only to them then, but to us today. Listen to this. This is words that he's telling us in John 16, 33. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. In other words, all these things that are getting ready to take place. These things he's pointing back to describing what's going to be happening in the last days. And, and so these things that I told you uh, so that in me you may have peace. So in other words, he's saying all these things are going to happen. It's not to give you turmoil and strife, but it's to give you peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Why would Jesus say that? I thought we were supposed to just go higher and higher from glory to glory and have all wonderful sunshine and beautiful roses and all of that. But he says pretty clearly, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Oh, oh, there's that pivot word again. But be of good cheer. There's troubles, but be of good cheer. There's going to be troubles, but I've given you my peace. Troubles come with the territory when we choose Jesus. Amen. As we stand for Jesus, we're going to be attacked. The world hates Jesus. The spirit of Antichrist is strong today, and it's getting stronger. Christians are being persecuted, imprisoned, and martyred for their stand for Christ. In the, in the world today, there's absolutely hundreds of millions of people that are being martyred and struggling mightily because of their stand for Jesus Christ. Did you know that? We don't see that really much in our country, kind of, but not near the level of what's going on in the world. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9 describes it this way. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. There's four pivots there. There's four butts there. <laughs> There's four yets there. Let me just give you a real quick uh, example of this. I don't know if even this week you've been reading anything about what's going on, but there's a, a hockey player, Philadelphia's, Philadelphia Flyers hockey player, just this week, who decided not to join in pregame festivities to celebrate gay rights. He said his belief in Jesus and the Bible would stand in direct contradiction to it. Now, that's fair enough. And in a civil and godly society, that would be accepted and honored. But... The opposite actually occurred in this man's life. This man is being, it's happening still continuing now. He's being vilified, he's being tarred and feathered over social media and the like as the evil, woke, liberal, anti-Christ, anti-holy, anti-Bible mob piles on with their anger and rage over his stand. It seems unconscionable. It's funny the hypocrisy of this inclusive culture, by the way, that we're living in. You hear people say we need to be more inclusive. But it seems that we can only be inclusive if our beliefs fit in with the current belief system. Exactly. It's hypocrisy. But folks, we need more men and women to do what this hockey player is doing right now. We need more people to stand up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood before the mighty king in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I want you to listen to the, the response. These three men where everybody else bowed, stood before the mighty King Nebuchadnezzar and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, one way or the other. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, but is a pivot word again. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. 
They chose not to bow down to the idol that everybody else bowed down to, just like this hockey player. And there's going to be opportunities for us too. And when you choose not to bow down to whatever's going on in this culture right now, that is so opposite of what God's word is, you need to expect a tsunami of backlash when you do it. Be prepared. So how can we endure this? Well, let's go back again to John 16, 33 with these words of Jesus. He says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That word but, same as yet, it's this all-important pivot word that takes our eyes off of our troubles and then onto his peace. How many needs the peace of God? More than just once. More than just a little. Right? Jesus has overcome whatever it is that you're going through. Jesus has overcome every trouble. Jesus has overcome. As you're facing troubles, we should never have a crisis of faith. But instead that we should take courage and actually realize something here that's really profound. Simple but profound. If we're facing trials and trouble, then we actually must be headed in the right direction. It's always harder to swim upstream, isn't it? And living for Jesus in the current current is definitely swimming upstream. In fact, if things are going easy for you, you might want to check and see which direction you're swimming. But when it's all said and done, this world is not our home. Amen? We're just passing through. And Jesus is getting ready to make things right. All this stuff that's going on, Jesus is going to come and say, I got this. Now watch this. So tap into his peace, folks. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, tap into his peace. Expect troubles. And know that Jesus has promised to be with you in and through it all. And take comfort in Jesus' promise in John 14, 27. He says this, peace I leave with you. He didn't say I'm just going to let you borrow it for a while. Peace I leave with you. It's there. Just pick it up. Take it. Clothe yourself in it. My peace I give you. In other words, it didn't cost us anything. We're not having to pay for his peace. It's given. He's leaving it with us. And it's also not anything I let the world gives. He says, peace I leave to you, my peace I give you. It's not anything as the world gives. How many of us the peace of the world is temporary? You know, it's just, it's just, it's just as long as the, that, that drink of alcohol or that little pill or that whatever carries you through, right? That's going to give you whatever sort of peace that you want to call it. He says, I, I'm giving you a different kind of peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let your hearts be afraid. Peace will overcome your trouble and peace will, will overcome your fear every time. If you live in his peace, if you wrap yourself in his peace. So thank you, Lord, for your peace. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. I'm going to experience troubles. You're going to experience troubles, but I'm going to rest in his peace so that I won't walk in fear and so that, I, so that those troubles won't overtake me. Here's the last of the three questions let's answer this morning. If God is our strength, then why are we so weak? Kelly and I like to watch American Ninja Warrior. How many has ever watched that program? Isn't that fun to watch? Man, these guys and gals. These are some of the top athletes around. 
and they love the challenge of getting through the obstacle course set before them. It's an endurance test for sure. I don't know if you've ever sat there and said, I could do that. <laughs> no. Yeah. So you see these athletes, you see them strong and fit. They're in the prime of their life. They're specifically training for that moment to go through these obstacles. And they all start out strong. Most of them make it through the first three or four obstacles without too much struggle. But then you begin to see their endurance and their stamina begin to wear down. The course begins to take its course on their bodies. And many drop to the water below as they lose their strength and their grip on whatever particular part of the obstacle course they're in. And then we always go, oh. You know, we read last week about Paul struggling with a thorn in his side, and he requested God to remove that thorn. But the Lord said no. And the Lord explained to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that my grace is sufficient for you. We heard that last week. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. The fact is, when we're weak, Jesus is strong. And it doesn't matter how much you've trained. It doesn't matter how much you know of God's word. It doesn't matter how disciplined or determined you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter about your spiritual heritage. You can only do so much and go so far on your own. We see many Christians starting off strong but dropping out over a period of time. We see many ministers start off on fire but then they fall into sin. We see believers run the race well for a stretch of time only to not finish strong or to not finish at all. What's the key? If we're supposed to be strong, then why are we so weak? That's the question that we asked. Here's the answer. Well, the problem isn't with God. It's not God's fault. It's ours. Too many of us are running on yesterday's blessings. Hear me today, church. Too many of us are running on yesterday's provision. Too many of us are running on yesterday's strength. You may, you may be able to get by with that for a while. And you may be able to get by with that on occasion. But just like your body needs sleep and food to survive, our spirits need to be constantly refreshed and replenished to not just start the race and to not just run the race but to finish the race for the prize that's set before us and to finish strong amen, amen. The fact is is that we're limited but God is not limited and sometimes he allows us to go through weak times to show us how we've relied too much on our own strength and not on his. So if God is, if we're supposed to be strong in, in the Lord, then why are we weak? It's because sometimes God allows us to go through those times to show us you've been relying on your own strength again, haven't you? Uh, Gideon in the Old Testament, I think about him when I um, think about this, this question that we're asking here this morning. Gideon was not a real strong person at the beginning. In fact, you'd call him timid and actually kind of afraid. He was, not, he was not who you would pick out in the crowd of candidates to lead an army into victory. There's Gideon standing there with the rest of them. He'd probably be the last guy picked on the team. He was met by God, though, <laughs> in this encounter in Judges. He was met by God in Gideon's weakness, and God 
called him out to some things. Listen to this, starting in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord, which is the Lord, came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midians. Now, first off, just picture this. Um, When you thresh wheat, you typically want to do it outside. You want to do it where there's a breeze that can blow. If you've ever seen them thresh wheat, they have this giant kind of like pitchfork type of thing. And they take all of the wheat, throw it up, and the wind blows the tares away and the heavier wheat falls down. And you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And after a while, you have no more chaff. You have just wheat kernels. And then they go to the process of making a bread, what have you. But here's, here's Gideon. And he wasn't outside at all. In fact, he was in this wine press. He was actually in a cellar. He was underground. He was hiding from the Midianites. And so imagine the most inefficient way that you could thresh wheat would be, I would sure, maybe, you know, indoors, dark, you can't hardly see anything, and you're throwing the stuff up, and no breeze blows it away. So you're kind of having everything fall back down that you threw up. But the thing is, is we look at this and say, okay, well, that's because Gideon was afraid. He was fearful. He was timid. Gideon was inside, underground, in this breezeless wine cellar, threshing wheat. But of all the options that you would take, I guess it would be the most viable option if you're afraid. And then the angel of the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate, had the audacity to declare in Judges 6.12, in the midst of this scene here, he says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, that doesn't make sense. That's really an odd statement. So, so here's Gideon doing this, and here's the angel telling him he's a mighty warrior. And we can see that Gideon is far from a mighty warrior, and I'm sure that Gideon probably saw the angel and he said that. And when he said, hey, when he said, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, Gideon probably went, like, is there somebody behind me that I don't know about? Because he's certainly not talking about me. And the reason we know that See, God saw Gideon, God saw in Gideon what, what, what Gideon didn't see yet in himself. And we know that even Gideon thought about it that way because in Judges 6.15, uh, Gideon very politely said, pardon me, my Lord. Pardon me. Excuse me, just one minute. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You see... What Gideon was saying was actually, what can I do? Because I'm the least of the least, and I've never been anymore, and I never will be. That's exactly, by the way, where Satan wants us to be. Satan wants to tell us that we can't do anything. You're weak. You're powerless. You just stay in that cellar. Just, just, just hunker down, and just don't, don't you lift a finger for the cause of the Lord, and, and you can't do this. You're the least and the weakest of all. And then the Lord responded in Judges 6.16, I'll be with you, and you're going to strike down all the Midianites and leave none alive. (laughs) This is just almost like a comical farce when you think about it. 
And there was some back and forth that was going on. And finally in Judges 6.34, we see this remarkable thing take place that I think is the pivot in, in Gideon's life. Because up to this point, he wasn't really doing much except cowering down in fear. But in Judges 6.34, it says this. Listen to this. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. I'm just going to stop right there. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. So Gideon before the Spirit of the Lord, Gideon after the Spirit of the Lord. Gideon before the Spirit of the Lord was weak, powerless, afraid, hunkering down, thought of himself as to being nothing and the least of the least. Gideon after the Spirit of the Lord blew a trumpet and summoned the Abiezrites Abbas, the to follow him. And if you read the rest of the story from there on, Gideon with just a small army, by the way, that the Lord whittled down to 300. It was like 1,000. And, and God whittled it down to 300 because that way is to show that God did this and not Gideon. He miraculously killed, think about it, 300 men killed 120,000 enemy soldiers. Think about that, the odds of that. All the small army of God needed to do was stand there and watch God turn the enemies on themselves. If you read the story, it's actually fascinating. It's remarkable. They didn't have to hardly lift a finger. They fought against themselves, the enemies did, and they killed themselves. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how I fight my battles. It's through my praise. It's through the Spirit of the Lord. It's through my trust in Him. And if you look at the rest of the story, Gideon led the people of Israel, because then they didn't have kings, they just had judges, and Gideon became the judge, that's why he's in the book of Judges. And he led the nation of Israel for 40 years. There was 40 years of peace from that one powerful moment where Gideon pivoted from being the least of the least and the weakest of the weak in a wine cellar in the hole somewhere, and God called him out and he said, the Spirit of the Lord now is on you to do mighty things and you will slay the enemy. So don't lose the key to the success today. Gideon was not a mighty warrior in his own strength. He was the weakest and the most afraid of them all. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, he could not be stopped. It wasn't Gideon's strength, but it was God's strength that won that battle. So let's ask the question again. If God is our strength, then why are we so weak? And here's why. Here's why. Write this down. Listen to me this morning. It's because we're relying on our own strength. God isn't weak. You hear me? God is not weak. God doesn't have limited strength. He's all-powerful. He never wearies. He never sleeps or slumbers. He's the master strategist. And when our strength runs out, his is just beginning and it has no end. So as we've done every week, I ask you again, have you regularly gotten under the spout where the glory comes out? Are you getting filled daily with the Holy Spirit? Are you finding that place on a daily basis for the Lord to say, Lord, yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not promised. Today I'm in need. Fill me. I need the Spirit of the Lord to come upon me today. Because I don't know what enemy I'm going to be facing. But I know you've got for me a job to do. You've got for me an assignment to live out. You've got for me a person to speak to. You've got for me a life to live in you. You've got for me a life to represent you well in my day to day. And the Holy Spirit will give you 
boldness. You will function in the supernatural. And Satan cannot overcome the spirit of the Lord in you. He can overcome you, but he can't overcome the spirit of the Lord in you. So may the Holy Spirit give us the boldness that we need to step out and then to step into the fray like that hockey player, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. On your own, you will surely fail, but God's strength is perfected in our weakness. And this kind of brings it back to full circle because I saved this verse until last. Nehemiah 8.10 declares it. It says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, let's take the full counsel of God's word today. Would you stand with me this morning as Emma comes up? and I want to encourage you today to take the full counsel of God's word and as you do, it'll keep you from having a crisis of faith. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand that happiness and joy are not the same thing. Lord, help us to understand that happiness is external, it's temporary. Lord, happiness is based on circumstances. Lord, help us to understand that joy is internal and it's based on you in us. Lord, we understand that happiness is kind of like basking in the sunshine, but joy is dancing in the downpour. And maybe when we're going through the times of downpour in our lives, when it seems like there's just this flood, this torrent of things that are happening in our lives, Lord, that we can still have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, help us to understand that when troubles come along, as we live a life in you, that you've given us your peace that passes all understanding, that will rule our emotions, and that will rule our thinking. And that peace is there to carry us through those times of attack that will surely come. And Father, we do thank you that you've declared it, and we believe it. And we look forward to it that you have overcome the world. The down payment has already taken place when you said it is finished. You're coming back to finish it off. And I believe very soon. Father, help us to understand that we can't be strong in our own strength. doesn't matter how much we know your word or, 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 or come to church or, or live a good life or train in certain ways to to endure this thing on our own strength we we can't our strength is limited thank you lord that we know your word thank you lord that we can spend time in prayer thank you lord that these weapons of our warfare are your name your blood your word our praise our prayers but lord all of that is conditional to that if we don't praise in the spirit if we don't pray in the spirit if we don't read your word as a rhema now word and allow your spirit to illuminate it if we don't declare the name of jesus in, in a relationship with you through the power of the holy spirit if we don't stand on the blood of jesus through the power of the holy spirit it, it, it's just it's not gonna it's not gonna fly we're gonna fail our strength is limited but god your strength is not limited your strength is unlimited father help us to stay filled with your spirit Today to be refilled, tomorrow again to be refilled, and the next day, and the next. So that even the most timid of us, even, the, even, even those of us who feel like we're the least qualified, that we're the weakest, and that we can't make a difference at all, that we can do what's described, Lord God, in your word, 
that we can that with your help with your spirit we can advance against the truth with you with your spirit we can scale a wall with you with you Jesus we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us Father we thank you this morning for your word yeah God we, we understand this that you are our peace you are our joy and you are our strength in our unhappiness in our troubles in our weakness you are all that we need to counter that so that we can live a life of victory and joy with troubles with struggles with anguish you're with us through these all of these things and when those things happen we will not have a crisis of faith we're not going to turn and say god where are you you're right there god why didn't you answer my prayer you did answer my prayer you're saying no you're saying wait you're saying my grace is sufficient thank you lord that a foundation that we're that we're standing on is, is is becoming more solid it's becoming wider it's becoming more sure it's becoming more stable it's a it's an immovable foundation our roots are growing down deep through these times of understanding your word we love you jesus we honor you today with every eye closed and head bowed as we christians can just continue to pray and let the holy spirit continue to minister to you he is. I, I believe with all my heart He's ministering to you right now. And, and in fact, if you need a refilling of the Holy Spirit right now, just lift up your hands and say, all right, Holy Spirit, pour it in. I need a fresh infilling. I need fresh oil. I need it right now. Holy Spirit, fill me right now with your fresh oil. Overflow me from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. Get into every fiber of my being, Holy Spirit. I need a fresh touch from you. I want to be empowered. I want to be bold. I want to be strong. I want to be wise. I want to be discerning. I need your help, Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own. Holy Spirit, fill us today. We receive a fresh touch from you. A fresh infilling from you. Now with every eye closed and head bowed, if today you're here visiting with a friend you're here visiting on your own you just maybe you come here often i'm not sure what's going on in your life but i really feel like that today the lord would have me extend an invitation to just say listen in your struggles in your time maybe you've drifted away from the lord you've gotten mad at him you've backslidden because you've not really understood the fullness of who he is and what he was trying to do in your life and maybe you want to renew your relationship with the Lord today you want to give your heart to Jesus you want to come back to him the prodigal sons and daughters you know coming on home today you're watching this from from your home as well today this is the invitation to you as well if today you want to renew your relationship with the Lord if you want to ask Jesus in your heart wherever you are in this God knows you certainly know and I want to give you opportunity to pray a prayer with all of us in just a few minutes to simply ask Jesus in your heart, ask him to forgive you of your sins. He's there. Oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what you've done. <clears throat> when he died on the cross, when he said it's finished, he saw what you have done. He saw the sin, sinful life that you've lived out up to this point. He, and he made provision for it. He conquered it. He overcame it. His blood is stronger. His blood can wash away all of your sins no matter what you've done and the devil will tell you otherwise but I'm here to tell you that the devil's a liar that God can forgive you of every single sin no matter what you've done you lay it at his feet and say Jesus forgive me and he says done but you have to ask him 
If that's you this morning, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I need it. Ask him in my heart. Yeah, there's one. Anybody else? I need him to just come and wash this stuff away. I need to renew my relationship with the Lord. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that back there. There's two. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else quickly? Amen. Would you all pray this prayer with me out loud whether you raised your hand or not? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God's son, he was raised from the dead, he died for our sin, you're going to be saved. So it's simply a prayer of faith. Mean it in your heart. Don't let it just be words coming out of your mouth, but man, mean it. Believe it in your heart. Would you pray these words with me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And today, I give you my heart. I ask you, to forgive me of every one of my sins. Wash me completely clean by your blood. Come live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. I thank you that you did the work and all I have to do is receive the gift. So I receive the gift now of salvation. And I thank you that now I'm forgiven. I'm clean. I'm a child of God and I'm going to heaven. Now, Holy Spirit, seal this decision by locking it in and confirming that don't let it be stolen. Let it go down into deep soil, rich soil. Let it take root, Lord God, and fill each one with your spirit. Now, Father, as we've all prayed this prayer, it's more than just a it's more than just you being our Savior. It's also allowing you to be our Lord, which means that we give you the reins of our life. And so today we give you the reins of our life. Steer us. Guide us. Our life is not our own anymore. We choose all of us to die at the foot of the cross today and to take up our cross daily and follow you from this moment on, which means that we're allowing you to be the Lord of our lives. Renew our minds. Renew our our words. Renew our emotions in you. Help us to be more like you, Jesus. That's allowing you to be Lord is to take the reins of our life so that we can be transformed into your image and all that we say and do and think. Work on us your holiness and your purity and your righteousness every day. Fill us with your spirit every day. Help us, Lord God, to grow to be more like you. Every day. Be our Lord. And Holy Spirit, you're there to help us with that every step of the way. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen.